The Altar of Bill by Rudolfo A. Serna Narrated by Craig Good Dorothea from the window stared out the cool glass across the neighborhood landscape of lawns and shrubs. The red dye curls of her hair sheening, with the old family pearls rattling against the window pane. The grandmother gripped her cell phone, and a yellow school bus passed the manicured lawns, while the falling leaves left an orange membrane over the drying grass. The children had been just let out an hour earlier, where they were then hurriedly shuffled into their houses, leaving the streets empty. The phone rang. Hello. Hello, Mom, her daughter's voice was on the other end. Hello, darling. How are you, her daughter said. I am fine. How's Tommy, Dorothea said. Good. Dorothea looked out the window at the large elm in the front of her yard, the yellow leaves breaking free, floating across the driveway toward the street. Mother? Yes. Don't worry. I'm sure they are just rumors. I'm not worried. I know you, Mother. No, really, honey. I'm not worried. Okay, then. Tommy wants to talk to you. Hello, Grandma, the small boy's voice on the phone. Hello, baby. How are you? I'm good, Grandma. How was daycare? I pushed Jean down. What for? We were playing, and then he said to move, and I didn't want to, and then Miss Sally came over and told me to go to timeout. She did? Dorothea could hear her daughter in the background. Say bye, Tommy. Bye. Bye, baby. See you in a while. Okay. Love you. Love you too, Grandma. Dorothea could hear her daughter's voice again. Okay, Mom. Talk to you in a while. Don't worry. I won't. Dorothea's daughter hung up, and the old lady could still hear the voice of her grandson on the other end of the line while in the background on the TV were the news reports of the breakdown of talks between nations, foreign wars growing closer, and in the hills around them, the missiles were on high alert. Since the death of her husband, she felt more vulnerable to the horrible news of the world, seeping in like the cold or rain, the rumors of impending doom. That maybe, just maybe, she thought, it wasn't real after all that the rumors were not true, the images on TV were just there for ratings, that perhaps the world wasn't as mad as they had made it out to be. She remembered being stronger. Age had withered her. But that was no reason to let it all fall apart. She was not so old yet, and she had more to offer, even if her children had left, with only her daughter to check in on her. Bill was gone, but she would be okay. It would all be okay. It had not been long since she got off the phone when she heard the footsteps behind her. The young woman wore a green vintage 1960s baby doll dress with a leather coat. Dorothea remembered the style, although she had never dressed that way, and the young man wore pure black with sideburn chops and large wraparound sunglasses reminding her of someone she may have seen on the streets of cities long ago. The young couple entered through the back door that Dorothea could have sworn she had locked. 
The secret police should have seen them slipping in, but for some reason had not. As if the cameras had been turned off. No worries, Ms. Thompson. You're just going to come with us for a ride, the young man said. No, 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 I'm not going anywhere with you. Come on, old lady, the woman in the baby doll dress growled at her. Dorothea backed away. Turning, she tried to run, even though she had weak legs and a bad eye that distorted her ability to judge distance, trying to run away with a body that hadn't ran in thirty years. Tumbling, falling forward. The hands reached out for her before she fell too far over. They grabbed her before she hit the floor. Oh, honey, you are a frisky old sow, but now you're coming with us, the young woman said. No, 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 she tried screaming for help. The young woman slapped Dorothea in the face and stopped her screaming. Whimpering instead, tears forming in her bad eye going red. Her legs went limp and she started dropping to the floor. Don't make me kill you, the young woman raised her hand, getting ready to strike her again. Hey, hey, wait up the young man said. The woman grabbed Dorothea by the scruff of her neck. I don't care. I'll hit her again. You hear me? Putting her finger in Dorothea's face, who could only nod in agreement, whimpering. This bitch hog is going to do what we want, the young woman said, smiling. Get up. The young man tried steadying Dorothea while she struggled with his grip. It's just a little pinprick, the man said in a calmer voice. Dorothea muttered through the tears. No, no. Hold still, Miss Thompson, he said. She felt the prick in her arm. The sedative was quick. Soon everything went black. They placed a pillowcase over her head. Crossing the town, the gutters filled with fallen leaves. The company town had grown out of need to house the workers of the bomb factories and labs built among the semi-arid lands of the mountains where the Manhattan Project was started, the expensive homes of the company town, the bomb developers, and their fusion drive. In the station wagon there was a wide dashboard with a hula girl swaying on top in the orange goblin light. They followed the road out of town, escaping the company streetlights that should have been tracking them, driving the small two-lane until reaching the dirt road. But nothing pursued them with the body of the old lady tucked away in the back seat, her hands and feet tied. She's awfully quiet, the man said. Hey, Sow, you still alive? The young woman said, reaching into the back seat, poking at the body with her finger. Not hard but hard enough to get a cry out of the old woman. You don't have to be so rough, he said. We're just supposed to get her. There's no time for this, she said. Yeah, maybe, but you don't have to be so rough. Settle down, she's fine, the woman said, turning towards her. You okay, old lady, she said. Why are you so mean, he said. I hate old people. They pulled up to the front of the lodge. The lights were bright, shining from the windows and front yard. There was no shortage of the power needed to charge the lines of the compound. The pine trees swaying from the autumn night, and Dorothea could feel the cold when they opened the door to let her out. She still had the pillowcase over her head. The building was a blown-up version of a simple log cabin in the woods, 
two stories high and sprawling. Built by an architect that had built similar lodges in the Grand Canyon and Yellowstone Parks for rich guests to visit. She could feel herself being pushed up the wooden ramp of a lit front porch. Dorothea could hear the turning of locks and the swinging open of doors, but could not completely feel her body, whatever it was they had injected her with, making her feel like she was floating across the floor in the wheelchair. Beneath the lodge in its great hall held the secret rites of the cultus galaxius. The walls of the ceremonial hall were reinforced with concrete. Deep corridors led to a bunker designed to withstand nuclear attack, a request to the contractor from the dead nuclear physicist and occultist who had helped in the creation of the original Manhattan bomb. The cult members in plastic gowns, rubber aprons, their faces covered with surgeon masks, and working the valves of the large barrels with rubber gloves and respirators. The underground lab had been constructed from parts of laboratory equipment taken out of government facilities, parts brought from local hardware stores, farm equipment auctioned from old ranches gone under, the feed bins and water barrels. Large glass fermenters ordered online, used to hold potent chemicals. The affluent scientists had more than enough money to invent a new kind of human. Their accumulated wealth of old families and the new money generated from their ingenious offspring and their inventions, the high lab wages that funded the shrine, and the birthing chambers of the secret society who had seen the future as predicted by the designer's software and deciphered through the equations and algorithms flashing on the screens of its users. The master scientists of the cultus order had proclaimed, Faith in the upload. The obscure knowledge from medieval times fused with atomic science and software, the cultus galaxius sought the space magic, creating a satellite to hover safely over the planet to exist beyond the mother world in data and light. They wheeled Dorothea through the hall. Her head teetered back and forth while her arms were numb, tied to the armrests of the wheelchair. She could not see the garden with the body parts growing in the purple moss of the fertile beds, but she could smell the chemicals. The amniotic fluid siphoned through the rubber hoses out of the glass fermenters. The coolers full of biological matter held for experimentation. The body parts in the fluid were dissolving away, forming a mist, not of burning flesh, but a scent, perfuming like ammonium flowers. Parts of human torsos, hands, and feet. The flower beds, sprouting buds growing out of the stolen bodies of the vagabonds smuggled from the next town over in the valley. The brown bodies on the silver beds being cut open and prodded. There would be no mention of the missing bodies, and no one would care to ask. Bodies given and received, voluntarily or not. The concrete walls were covered with silk tapestries, embroidered insignias of mystical numbers and symbols, triangles, eyes, and inverted stars. Stories of the cult through the ages and the different local chapters that were spread throughout the world from the endless winters of the Arctic 
and crumbling monasteries in the Sahara, the jungles of Asia and Africa. They wheeled her across the smooth, polished floors. It was warm inside the hall. Dorothea's vision started to clear despite the bad eye that often caused her to see double. Peering through the cloth that covered her head, she looked around at the pipes and wiring that seemed to hang from every end, the large canisters and the valves that steamed. Dorothea's kidnappers pushed her chair past the covered faces, protected from the harmful fumes of the chemicals stirred in vats of surgical steel. In white lab suits, the technicians tended the dials of blinking machines approaching the center of the hall. Take that offer, Joshua. Untire, the balding man in a turtleneck sweater wearing a brown blazer said. The young man pulled the cover off her head and untied the ropes. Her body was slow to react, but she could see the familiar face giving the order. Jacques? You? she muttered. Dorothea? You brought me here? The shrine has been launched. Our European brothers and sisters did it. The shrine? You remember? Jacques said. Yes, but I never thought... Is that why you brought me here? For this? Tonight's the last night. There was no time. The bombs? The rumors are true? Dorothea said. Yes, all true. How do you know? You know how. Your husband was one of us, the best of us. Her heart was beating too fast, fearing dying, thinking that the muscle would just quit, but it did not fail. Instead, she was trying to contemplate what it was she was doing there. Still numb from the injection, she could not move, except to look up at the face of her husband's old lab partner. We couldn't have done it without Bill, and he couldn't have done it without you. Dorothea did not try to stand. She could see the piping that lined the walls like black worms in the ground among the roots, powered by the converted generators operating off the fusion of black mass. Beneath the vines of ribbed steel, the walls gleamed polished stone, stained with splashed chemical. In the center of the hall, there were pieces of pipe, pieces of rubber and plastic, pieces of software and the copper wiring that ran electricity from converted generators upgraded by the cult's technicians. Twinkling lights reminded Dorothea of a Christmas tree, almost like the one her and Bill would have gotten when the children would break open the wrapped packages and her and Bill had tried hard to give them everything. There were cables and wiring that wrapped around the body fastened to the mechanical tree. Why have you brought me here like this? They tied me up. Her, that bitch, she, she slapped me. Dorothea started to cry, her bad eye seeing double, trying to focus on what it was that had been encased in the amalgamate of black metal and rubber cables. Something familiar. The young woman was nowhere to be seen. I'm sorry, Dorothea. There was no time. We needed to get you here. Sarah is one of the most creative of us, but also one of the most unstable. Please try to forgive her. Forgive us all. Forgive? 
She was dizzy. The computer did not breathe. The body wrapped in wiring and metal casing, dead. Her blurry vision unable to make out what it was she was seeing. The glow of the computerized column mixing with candlelight and the symbols painted on the rock walls of the complex. Then she noticed his face. Bill? How? The eye, along with the mouth of her dead husband, had been sewed shut. His other eye remained open with a red lumen staring at his wife in the wheelchair placed across from him. His body had been put ceremoniously in a purple robe with gold filament while attached to the massive giant mechanical stock stretching to the ceiling in the center of the large hall, reaching the roof of the hall. His one red eye staring out of his gray lifeless face where the eyelid had been shaved off. He gave himself to us. I buried him. I know I buried him, she said, feeling herself weak in the chair. We unburied him, Jacques said. I watched him die. He was already dead. We took his espiritus, took it in the night, he said. The morning he died, you were there. Dorothea was sweating, her heart pounding erratically. How... Why did you do that to him? It's important you listen. Tonight is the last night. Dorothea felt as if she couldn't breathe. He wants you to be with him, the master engineer of the order said. No, no, he needs you. She could see the young man and woman who had brought her there. Getting ready, they had forgotten about her exchanging their clothes for the purple gowns with gold trim, preparing to be uploaded. Bill had been diagnosed with cancer the year he had retired from the labs, a common death for those that had lived in the company town, the radioactive lands, and bomb factories. She remembered holding his fragile hand, pallid and frail like his face had become. And yet... There he was, staring at her, with the one bright oculus glowing brightly. She had been diagnosed herself only a month before, and had yet to tell her daughter, who would also have been diagnosed some day. A procession, dressed in the long purple robes, similar to what Bill wore, getting ready for the upload, walked in parade past Dorothea and the blinking lights of the altar toward the cots, and holding the goblets of green drink in their hands. We will begin, Jacques said. You are crazy. You cannot exist as a spirit in a machine, she whispered. If it could live, why couldn't it dream, Jacques said. She couldn't breathe. Looking at the glowing eye across from her, looking back, horrifying her, as if remembering her when he was human, when he could feel her hand and the grass beneath his bare feet. They would do it again, Bill was certain. You will be with us, Dorothea, Jacques said. She felt the prick of another injection into the back of her neck. Her head lolled forward while she took in the glowing red eye. That's not Bill, that's not Bill. But it is, Dorothea, you will see. 
No, no. No. The altar of Dorothea's dead husband communing with the mainframe of the shrine. Jacques had lost his hair, his cheeks sunken, but she still recognized the young man who had dined with her and her husband all those years before. The late nights of scientific debate and the plan they spoke of. Dorothea thought it ridiculous and arrogant of the young men. She had met Bill in college. She had fallen in love with him, but never imagined that it would end like this. Her other eye was closing. Jacques stepped away to address those in their purple gowns drinking the poison, being absorbed into the machinery controlled by the black altar of Bill. They laid on the rows of cots prepared like desks in a classroom. The silver cords the technicians unfurled to connect them to the black altar. Each cult member drank from their glass of poison. Jacques stood at a podium wearing the purple robe. Science is the highest art, he said. Dorothea's dead husband, channeling uploads through his crystal mind in rapid fire, the glittering lights placed there to harness the dead. Science is truth. Jacques, the master engineer, kept reciting the words, To exist beyond the body, to exist beyond the world, the galactic eye, the thirteenth door, to travel to distant stars. Dorothea hadn't noticed that her hands had been untied some time ago. Her numb arms rested limp at her side, her weak heart, her bad legs. She was unable to move. The machine processing, the altar of Bill computing, digitizing all the memories of the master scientists. Dorothea never saw Jacques drink his poison or lay himself down to be covered with a mechanical shroud that would help in connecting him to his lab partner, his best friend, and her husband. Her body had been laid out on a cot, with Bill looking over her. The transparent electronic shrouds placed over their dead faces, their transfer complete. She thought about her grandson. He would not survive the blast. His life would stop at the point when entering the school grounds just after the morning bell, along with all of his classmates, their teachers, the janitors, and principal. The lab employees on lockdown, running, screaming into the street for the lives of their children. The air raid sirens blaring and maybe, just maybe, her daughter and grandson would be together when the warheads exploded. In a heavy dream at the edge of death, finally pulling away, there was Bill, whole again, on the grass in the morning dew. They were barefooted. There were no children just the two of them, and they were young again, with the promise of their resurrection some day on earth. Bill, my love, is it you? Is it really you? The ghosts had forgotten the world, but it was Bill who had reminded them to return to the planet centuries later. They existed in the shrine while the moon children were locked in their tombs of bio-canisters and test tubes protected from the radiation deep in the basement. The cells hibernating until the seals could be unlocked, and the art of biomixing, the dead, 
possessing the living. The greatest inventions ever. To return to Earth with their super-knowledge. And the power of the blast, the nuclear eye, the missiles launched, the shrine was a golden pyramid in orbit. The timer in the birthing chambers of the Cultus Galaxius Hall clicked until the locks released and the mechanisms would birth the moon children among the bones of their creators, still in their purple robes, protected by the metal gates of the bunker that withstood the blast from the fusion warhead and the ash falling over the charred radioactive woods. Moon children, born from biosacs and grown under heat lamps, making their way topside, without a mouth, without eyes, with only a hole in their sides to take in whatever sustenance they could find, the steel strands of the gullet grown in the labs and injected into the fetuses by the birthing machine, created to withstand the nuclear winter. They would sense their way across the surface of the planet with electric impulse, communicating telepathically with the other transmissions, connecting them to the voices and consciousness in the shrine, all the brothers and sisters of the Cultus Galaxius. The altar of Bill, still transmitting and receiving, communicating from Earth to their home in space, still feeling the flesh of his wife's hand. In time, the moon children would sort out the rubble sprouting thick with weed between the cracks, crouching down, scratching the ground for grubs and plant follicles, placing them into the hole in its side. A single moon child on the rim of the cliff, investigating the remnants of the human race, and a solitary animal crawling below in the sand. The moon child's ebony body, the strong arms and legs striding across the wasteland, watching the mutated natives of Earth that had survived among the rubble of cities and towns. The Earthlings delivering their offspring in holes in the sand, unable to understand any kind of language or reason. A senseless animal, slithering and crawling. And even if the moon child was able to communicate with it, the native earthlings would never be able to understand. The vision hit the moon child hard, a vision of itself still human in the age before the war, holding a baby centuries earlier. A grandchild, it was called. The mutated human crawling below had brought on the vision. Its electric signatures seemed weak and infant. The moon child could not make out its skin, bright pink, hairless, mottled with thick brown tumors. Nothing like the child the grandmother once held in her arms, and she could still feel him. The visions were made up of the collective memories uploaded on that last day, the knowledge floating in dreams from the dead to the living on the necrotronic streams. The moon child was distracted by the vision, just long enough to be pushed from the ledge by its attacker, a mutant with extra body parts and eyes and mouths that had been reordered in its face generations before, hobbling along on abnormally proportioned legs. The moon child plummeting over the edge of the precipice. The hungry animals pounced and ate its ebony body, and at the moment of death it uploaded back to the shrine on a necrotronic stream of light and data, getting closer to the chorus to the consciousness, 
joining those of the shrine. And the birthing chambers in the bunker remained working for a thousand years, maintaining the knowledge of its scientists and entering the minds of the infant onyx bodies dropping into the receptacles. The birthing lights and heating lamps turned to glow. They would be born in the spring, and that is how they would build their world until they got it right, the only way to survive, to die and be reborn. The moon children would evolve and would form eyes and mouths and reproductive organs. The ghosts from the hall where the altar of Bill stayed, and they would rebuild, roaming the land in the bodies they had created, waiting for the world to turn green, unlocking the lids of the seed banks, growing the gardens, tasting the ripe fruits growing. Rudolfo Serna has a penchant for 70s horror B-movies, psychedelic doom metal, permaculture, and nature worship. A native of northern New Mexico, he's also a husband and a father, educator and coordinator with the MFA in Creative Writing program at the Institute of American Indian Arts in Santa Fe, New Mexico. He is the digital steward of the Mutant Root Continuum at mutantroot.com. This has been a production of the Brick Moon Fiction Podcast. If you like what you hear, please give us a review on iTunes as it helps us find a bigger audience. For more information on Brick Moon and special offers, sign up for the Brick Moon Fiction newsletter at brickmoonfiction.com. Thank you for listening.